1: Hello, beloved family. So good to be with you. Hold on, I'm plugging my computer in so we don't have an outage here. One momento, please. I pray that you're all well. It is Wednesday, uh, the first week of Lent, which means it's Ember Wednesday. Now, Ember, the Ember Days and the Rogation Days have pretty much gone into... A darkness since Vatican II um, and I think I've said before as soon as I began to discover the beauty and tradition of the church and the liturgy um, I began finding all these things and they're so so very beautiful what are ember days and most people that attend the Novus Ordo probably have never even heard of ember days um, they are special days from prayer uh, for prayer and fasting during the liturgical I- year, and they occur four times during the year. I am um, reading to you a simple explanation um, from uh, the Catholic Gentleman website, The Catholic Gentleman, and it's called Ember Days 101. <laughs> just a simple definition explanation for those who are just um, being introduced to Ember Days. There are special days for prayer and fasting during the liturgical year. And, of course, all of Lent is a time of fasting, but the Ember Days are increased fasting. They correspond to the four seasons, and they focus our attention especially on the blessings of nature. On the Ember Days, we give thanks for blessings we've received, but also remind ourselves of our need for penance And grace. And beloved, this is strictly from the Old Testament into the New. The roots of the Ember Days go back to the Old Testament. Uh, The book of Zechariah describes an ancient Jewish practice of fasting four times a year, Zechariah chapter 8. Christians adapted this tradition into what was referred to in Latin as quator tempora, which means quator four, tempora times. Somewhere through the centuries, the Latin tempora became ember in colloquial speech, and thus the name Ember Days. Hold on, something's going crazy over here. Um, okay, what are the Ember Days? These are four sets of Ember Days during the year. Each set is a successive Wednesday, Friday, and saturday so this is wednesday of ever um, days during the first week of lent um, this season and then the next will be friday and saturday they're successive and they occur every year near the beginning of the four seasons so spring is after ash wednesday summer is after pentecost sunday fall is after september 14th the feast of the exaltation of the holy cross and winter is after December thirteenth, which is the feast of Saint Lucy. A traditional way of remembering these dates in the rhyme, Lenti Penti, Cruci and Lucia. <laughs> it says that. Lenti, that's for Lent, Penti, Pentecost, Cruci, the exaltation of the Holy Cross, and Lucy, the Feast of Saint Lucy. Or the more prosaic, Lucy, Ashes, Dove and Cross. Lucy, Ashes, Dove and Cross and cross. In the 19, in the 1969 revision of the liturgical calendar, the ember days are no longer formally observed. That's right after Vatican II. It's just such tragedy that we have been robbed of so much of the faith that helps us to know who we are and uh, uh, destroys the uh, little by little, our relationship with God that he intended. But many Catholics still observe them in their homes and parishes. It is a fruitful practice and a great way to stay in tune with the liturgical year. How do we celebrate Ember Days? Well, first in Thanksgiving. On the Ember Days, we give thanks for the fruit of the earth. Even though we don't live in an agrarian society, it's good for us to give thanks for the food we have such as we have such easy access to we may not grow it ourselves but we are fed because of the work of others hands now here in our new home in winsboro we're growing vegetables and we just we just um, got uh, a ton of catfish and minnows for our quarter of a mile uh, pond um, and we're gonna we're building a chicken coop Uh, i grew up in brooklyn brick in brooklyn so this is quite exciting and we give thanks for every sprout that comes up but even so shopping at the stores we give thanks for all the food that god has enabled us to have through the efforts of others so first thanksgiving and then fasting and abstinence fasting on the ember days reminds us it's not an option beloved it is now unfortunately uh, following vatican II. But it was not an option, and we don't count it an option, option, beloved. Fasting on the ember days reminds us to honor nature's gifts by using them in moderation. G.K. Chesterton quipped, quote, We should thank God for beer and burgundy by not drinking too much of them, quote. At one time, fasting on the ember days was obligatory. Now, according to the code of canon law, fasting and abstinence on the ember days is commended but not required it's such a loss beloved it's such a loss if you're raising your children and you say well it's lent you can fast if i mean it's obligatory on ash wednesday and friday and we need to stay away from meat on the fridays of lent but that's it you don't have to worry about anything else but you can fast the church encourages us to fast and if they choose not to or they just choose to give up Uh, one piece of candy or one piece of whatever it is or one practice, Um, they're doing something and it's meritorious and it's good. But to not raise your children with regular fasting, um, you are depriving them of spirituality, of maturity, of discipline, of a mature relationship with God and thanksgiving. So, uh, part of ember days is to pray for priests in the past. Priests were ordained on the ember days. The laity would pray for the priests getting ordained on that day and ask that God would send them good priests. The ember days still provide a great opportunity for us to pray for priests in this day and age when priests are stretched thin and yet called to heroically witness to the gospel. They truly do need our prayers. And then almsgiving. The church has always tied together giving thanks and giving alms. And the Ember Days are no exception. They're excellent opportunities to support the needy. And fasting and almsgiving and prayer, beloved, these are not options for us. They are options now, not during Lent, but further we do that on Ember Days here at the Daughters of Mary, Mother of Israel's Hope. we abstain from meat all of Lent. We fast every Wednesday Friday. Um, every Wednesday and Friday, we, we, fast, we fast through all of Lent. We have a small something for breakfast and one meal a day. Um, and all in moderation, no desserts. Um, and now with the Ember Days, we're already fasting. So I've simply asked the sisters to take on individually what they wish to give up. god for this day could be salt on their eggs could be a meal could be half a meal Uh, and it's wednesday so we'll only have one meal and it'll be small Um, but we can make it smaller or leave out an item that we love there's a way to fast in in um, in our hearts to worship god the prayers for the ember days are this bless the lord O my soul and never forget all he hath done for thee Lord, thou hast been our refuge from generation to generation. Grant, we beseech thee, Almighty God, that as year by year we devoutly keep these holy observances, we may be pleasing to thee both in body and soul, through Christ our Lord. Amen. And we pray for God's blessing on our labors. O Lord, graciously look down upon thy servants and upon the work of their hands, And do thou who givest food to every creature, bless and preserve the fruits of the earth, that the needy may be filled with good things, and that all may praise the glory of thy bounty. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. Beloved, if you did this with your children, with your family, they would begin to know who they are and whose they are, and be involved in his plan of salvation for the world. Excuse me. We pray for vocations to the priesthood. Why ye stand all the day idle? Go ye into my vineyard, the Lord says. Ask the Lord of the harvest that he send laborers into his vineyards. Uh-oh. Oh dear. James, can you hear me? Is is that the music for the break? All right, beloved. uh, Something just happened, but we'll be back right after the break. God bless you.
2: Hello, this is Steve Gleason with your one-minute tool for Catholic evangelism. Here's the question for your non-Catholic friend: How much havoc would be caused at your church if your pastor brought a big statue of Saint Peter or Saint Paul and placed them in the sanctuary? Well, here's your three best friendship tools for Catholic evangelism. Number one: History's on the side of the Catholic Church. Christian art in many forms dates way back to about 120 A.D., and so do those various Christian symbols which we still see today. You know, a dove, a fish, a lamb. Why are those okay? Secondly, the Bible: Exodus, Numbers, and Ezekiel. All these 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 books show God telling Moses, David, or Ezekiel to carve out images of angels that were used in worship. And and thirdly, a tough comeback, especially for my guy friends. Does Cooperstown, Canton, or Cleveland mean anything to you? Yep, the Hall of Fame locations filled with statues, jerseys, bats, and balls. Memorabilia is a $37 billion industry, but you say, don't bring a statue into my church. Well, how many of you guys have admired one of those bronze statues of an athlete? I'd rather stare at St. Peter's, Paul, and Mary in my church, and I'm not talking about the old folk band.
3: At the Station of the Cross, we understand that life circumstances can affect your giving options, whether by moving or by switching banks and credit card numbers. Please let us know if recent changes have been made to your payment information so that we can better serve you as you continue to bless us with your financial support. Update your information today at thestationofthecross.com or by calling 1 877 888 6279, extension 104. The
0: Station of the Cross began broadcasting in Buffalo, New York in 1999. Since then, our listening areas have multiplied and expanded into several states. While our mission is to grow the Catholic faith through radio and other media outlets, our apostolate is supportive of, but independent from your local diocese. Through your generosity, we are able to inspire countless listeners with the gospel and help lead them to a parish to be spiritually nourished by the sacraments.
1: beloved to mother miriam live i am she and we are live i love saying that because all last week we needed to run on course but we are live all this week and hopefully from now on um i'm so thrilled to be with you we are um at uh, the first week in lent and today is the beginning of lent ember days for this quarter of the year wednesday friday and saturday we're always obligatory for the church's fasting and prayer um and after vatican two it just was eliminated um with other things after the council which is so distressing because you can't raise children in the faith when you destroy the faith and eliminate it and water it down then they don't know who they are then it just becomes religion to go to church it, it's so uh, distressing to me um so during the Ember Days, um, which are Wednesday, Friday, and Saturday, four times a year, and they begin during Lent, for the season of spring, um, we, we fast, and we pray, and um, we give thanksgiving. So we've talked about uh, today, celebrating the Ember Days, even though you're fasting in some way during Lent, something increased today one thing do without cream for your coffee do without salt for your eggs do without a snack do without whatever you can offer god in your heart and and it's an offering of thanksgiving for all that he gives you for the food that he provides you with even the food to fast with so we engage in thanksgiving this day in fasting and abstinence from meat, in praying for priests In almsgiving, and um, um, we pray for God's blessings on our labors. We pray for vocations to the priesthood because it used to be that priests were ordained on the Ember Days. Um, And we pray in honor of Christ's betrayal and and passion. O God, who for the world's redemption was pleased to be born, circumcised, rejected by the Jews. "...betrayed by the kiss of traitor Judas, bound with chains, led like an innocent lamb to sacrifice, and shamefully presented before Annas, Caiaphas, Pilate, and Herod, accused by false witnesses, beaten with whips, buffeted, insulted, spat upon, crowned with thorns, smitten with a reed, blindfolded, stripped of thy garments, fastened with nails to the cross..." and lifted up on high, reputed among thieves, made to drink gall and vinegar, and wounded by a lance, oh, by these most sacred sufferings, which unworthy as I am, I thus commemorate, and by thy holy cross in death, deliver me, Lord, from the pains of hell, and deign to lead me where thou didst lead the penitent thief who was crucified by thy side, who with the Father and the Holy Ghost livest and reignest forever and ever. Amen. This comes straight from a book called Blessed Be God. We have it. It's a little beautiful Catholic book, a complete Catholic prayer book by Charles, Father Charles Callan, C-A-L-L-A-N, published by P.J. Kennedy and Sons. It's a very, very wonderful, wonderful prayer book, beloved. So, um, if you have any questions or anything on your heart, we have a, uh, a- after the second break, as always, dear ones, our, our lines, will, you see how crazy my glasses are, I can't see very well from them, but because our, our little dog chewed them up, or the dog that we rescued, and I think I told you we were trying to find a home for him, we brought him for surgery on his leg, he's an Aussie shepherd, and we have decided to keep him, he grew on us, He's the most wonderful dog, but he did know not to chew my glasses. So um, I see you triple out of them now. Anyway, dear ones, I give thanks for that too. I give thanks for all things. We're so grateful for all God has given us and mostly for so great a salvation. We deserve hell. Do you know that, beloved? If you're listening and you don't think you deserve hell, you don't know that you deserve hell, then you are of all people, most blind and poor. The wages of sin are death, separation from God forever. And we come into this world through original sin, separation from God. And if we leave the world that way, we'll be separated from him for all eternity and spend all eternity in hell. But God in his mercy without compromising his holiness provided a way for us to go back to him And none of our sacrifices could suffice. We can't live a good life to get to heaven. We need to live a good life. So we don't forfeit God's gift of heaven, but we can't earn heaven by a good life. A billion sacrifices, all our bloodshed, could never earn heaven. Only the sacrifice of Christ, the Lamb of God, the pure, sinless Lamb of God, is the only sacrifice pleasing to God. The only sacrifice God has accepted for Adam's sin, Adam and Eve, and all of us since then. There's no other sacrifice. You say, well, I don't want to put my trust in Christ. I'm Jewish. I don't believe in him. I'm Jewish too. And I came to believe he's our Messiah. He is the one that Isaiah 53 speaks about. As a lamb to the slaughter was he led, yet he opened not his mouth. But isn't the Messiah supposed to come as a reigning king and set up his kingdom? And he will do that. But he first came as a dying lamb. If you read Isaiah 53, 52 and 53, many Orthodox Jews think that there are two messiahs, son of Joseph and son of David, Ben Yosef and Ben David. But there's not. There's one Messiah who came twice. He came first as a suffering lamb. He will come a second time as a reigning king for those who put their trust in him the first time he came to set up his kingdom, not to rule on earth, but in the hearts of men. If you're Jewish, beloved, he is your Messiah. I know you may not believe that, neither did I, till I was 51, but I do believe it, and he's changed my life, and I say to you the most Jewish thing a Jew can do, is to believe in Christ. Christ is the English word for Messiah. Mashiach in Hebrew into Messiah in the English, Christos in the Greek, which was the uh, language of our Lord's day, and then Christ. He is not uh, Jesus, Mr. Jesus Christ. He is Jesus, which is the Old Testament, Yeshua, Joshua, um, which means God is salvation. He is Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus the Messiah, Jesus the Christ. And I say, I've had Jewish people spit at me, telling me I betrayed them. And I say to them, I understand where you're at. I was there myself once. I said, but aren't you waiting for the Messiah? And they said, yes. I said, well, when he comes, won't it be the most Jewish thing to do to believe in him? And they said, oh, yes. I said, well, you have to stop being Jewish? Will you have to stop being who you are? Of course not. But you will accept that the million sacrifices and lamb shed through the Old Testament sacrificial system in the temple that's no longer there could never take away sin, but there were signs to point to the one who would come and take away the sins of the world. And John the Baptist, very Jewish, cousin of Jesus, born six months before, looked at him when he came into the Jordan, and said, Behold, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. He is the Messiah, the only acceptable sacrifice. There's no other way to salvation. If you're Jewish, there's no way to salvation but to put your trust in the Lamb of God, the only sacrifice that God has and will ever accept for our sins. If you're Muslim, there's no way to heaven. There's no way to eternity, except through Christ. If you're an atheist, it's the only way. If you're living in sin, beloved, you're living with somebody who's not your proper spouse, who's not your spouse. You're living in a same-sex relationship. Whether you've been civilly married or not, you're living in grave, grave sin, and you are on your way to hell, unless you repent and put your trust in Christ. And if you say, what we do trust in Christ, and we have a homosexual marriage, and we're happy, and we go to Catholic Church, and we receive communion, we are Catholic. You are not. You will be greater, you will be that much more accountable for your sin because you call yourself Catholic. And the scriptures say that neither murderers, nor slanderers, nor homosexuals, nor gossips will enter the kingdom of heaven. You will not. You will not. Um, but my priest welcomes me. Well, your priest will be accountable for that, and he will probably also be on his way to hell. The word of God is true, and there's no way in the scriptures. there's nowhere that God accepts homosexuality or same sex unions, or living a homosexual lifestyle. There's no way. Sodom and Gomorrah were put to death for it, were burned up. There's no way, beloved. You can you can invent excuses you can lie to yourself you can believe Father James Martin who is also not on his way to heaven he's leading millions to hell you can believe all that it's your choice or you can repent especially during the season of lent and fall to your knees and ask god to help you and help you to come to him to become his child to repent to converse, to convert, to be forgiven, and to become his child through his true church, the Catholic Church, where homosexuals are not welcomed to worship. They are welcomed to learn the gospel. They are welcomed to come to penance, but not to celebrate with the faithful because they are pagan and they are under the rule of Satan. This is not my opinion, beloved. This is God's teaching. This is God's teaching. Um, I tell you, if you're sincere and want to know God, he says today if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. Today is the day of salvation. If you choose to say what a errant priest, what an unholy priest, what an unholy bishop is telling you, You are under Satan's rule and you will go the way that they are directing your witches to hell. The Catholic Church teaches the truth, open the scriptures, open the catechism, go to a holy priest and tell them you want to repent, you want the truth, you've been told lies, you've been living according to your passions and you want the truth at any cost. You want the truth. You could die in your sleep tonight and you will wake up in hell if you do not repent and live the life God has died for you to live and rose from the dead to give you. There's the music for our second break, beloved. We'll uh, have a half hour to ourselves when we come back from that break. Um, Our lines are wide open, the toll-free number with anything on your heart is one 511 5483 or email at mother at thestationofthecross.com and we'll be right back. beloved this is mother miriam host of mother miriam live like the catholic current and the many other programs that originate from the station of the cross divine mercy in my soul is all about the messages that jesus revealed to saint faustina it is aired every sunday morning at 11 eastern and tuesday nights at 8 p.m or you can listen anytime to divine mercy in my soul on the i catholic radio mobile app
0: Here at the Station of the Cross, we proudly bring the truths of the Catholic faith to countless listeners through radio and mobile devices, and we're grateful for the feedback we've received.
3: I discovered the Station of the Cross rather providentially a year ago. and have been a loyal listener ever since. I can't overestimate the value of the station What it's made a difference in my life in terms of making me a better informed Catholic. It has enriched my faith and sold me during tough times and made me laugh on several occasions. I commend the important work of this
1: great apostolate. I'm a stay-at-home mom. I listen to the radio. And if I can listen to something that brings me closer to God, closer to Jesus Christ, then it's the most beautiful thing.
0: If you've been blessed by listening to the Station of the Cross, let us know. Call 1-877-888-6279, extension 112. Then share your testimonial with us.
4: We hear all the time from listeners who discovered the station by seeing a Tri-God bumper magnet in traffic. You can request a free bumper magnet and start evangelizing just by driving around town. Go to thestationofthecross.com and click on promotional material under the About tab. There you can request a magnet for your listening area. We even have one for the iCatholic Radio mobile
0: app. Request yours today.
1: this is our half hour and anything that's on your heart if you'd like to call in toll-free is one 511 5483 or email at mother at the station of the cross.com. we have an email from michelle <clears throat> and michelle says i need your prayer because i feel the lord has given me a message to share it all started with my return to the church after many years I went to confession and received the Eucharist. Then I had a very hard trial in my life and began to despair. I did prayers of deliverance that day. That night I said prayers of protection against retaliation. As I lay down to sleep, suddenly I began to see my life and my sins, and it was terrible. I put myself at the foot of the cross and begged for God's forgiveness. Once again... I laid down to sleep and the evil one attacked, yelling me, telling me God could not forgive me for my sins and telling me the Blessed Mother was repulsed by prayers from someone like me, but the words and visions I was shown are not repeatable. Then the evil one told and showed me that if I died at that moment, I would be dragged to hell and I was told of what would be done to me for all eternity, also not repeatable. Then the evil one told me that many people like myself with PTSD commit suicide. The lies continued, and I was told that if I spoke of what he had told me, I would be declared insane, and I was shown myself in a mental hospital. Oh, my goodness. I again went to confession and confessed mortal sins I had never confessed before and told my priest of these attacks. I was absolved and the overt attacks lessened. But the problem was that I could not forgive myself and was having trouble accepting God's mercy. So I told this to the Lord, and he said to me, you must accept my mercy. And then in a more stern tone, he said, accept my mercy, or you will accept my judgment. Then he led me to the message of his divine mercy and the gift he wants to give me and all of his children, on Divine Mercy Sunday. That gift is not only the forgiveness of sins, but removing the punishment due. I was amazed at the abyss of his mercy, and I asked why I did not know about the gift of Divine Mercy Sunday. Then the Lord told me to tell my priest that he wants his urgent message of Divine Mercy to be preached and that he wants his Divine Mercy Sunday to be a special homecoming for his children. He said, I want to inspire in him the same fire I have inspired in you for my divine mercy. He showed me lines for the confessional and that my priest would need help to hear all the confessions. His message is urgent because of the times we are in. Evil is all around us, but we are so used to it that we don't even notice. Satan is frantically working to steal souls because he knows his time is short. Please pray that I can find the courage to tell my priest. I keep thinking this man knows how grave my sins were, so grave that I was subject to demonic obsession. But, and now I am going to tell him what God has told me. Surely he won't accept the message from God through a sinner like me. How can I be sure that this is God's will? I did not hear a voice, so to speak, but rather a message conveyed to my soul with images. Thank you, Michelle. Michelle, I'm no prophet, but I will command you, if I can, to tell your priest. Everything you have written, every message, um, your own personal sins you saw, the message of divine mercy, the message that if you don't receive God's mercy, you will receive his judgment. It's all 100% Holy, It's all from God, uh, all from Sister Faustina, that mercy is his greatest attribute. And if you don't accept it, then you will be in hell like Judas. Um, To not accept God's mercy is straight pride. It's straight pride that you think your sins are greater than his mercy. Um, If God has told you to tell your priest, you must not disobey him. And it doesn't matter what the priest knows about you. If God wants you to tell your priest, God will make your message to him acceptable to the priest. God, if he worked on your heart, can work on your priest's heart. God has asked you to do this. Michelle, you will be in great sin if you don't. Go ahead and do it. And don't make excuses. Go to your priest and tell him that I know you know my mortal sins. I know I'm a sinner, all of this. But God has told me to tell you this. And I must tell you, what you do with it is between you and God. You must do this, Michelle. Um, So, no, I won't pray that you find the courage to tell your priest. You have the courage. God has given it to you. And you must do it. And do not delay because souls are in peril. We have an email from Amin, Amin, A-M-I-N, who says, hello, can you help me? I have been a refugee in Turkey for nine years because of my conversion to Christianity and the Christian activities I have done to save myself and my family. I am a researcher, and I have collected books on Christianity and Islam, and I put it on social networks because of the many harms caused to me and my family by the religion of Islam In Iran, my enlightenment about Islam and Christianity seriously endangered my life. My family's Christianity, along with the books that I collected and made available to everyone on social networks, caused me to be harassed. And therefore, my return to my country will undoubtedly have severe punishments for me because I am a Christian and I have had Christian activities. And this is against the religion of Islam and I have had anti-Islamic activities and its rules, which are also contrary to Iranian Islam. All the choices of us Christians in Turkey have fallen into the hands of Turkish Muslims, and because they are Muslims, they are strongly against Christians, and this factor has caused us to live with great hardships in these few years. Turkey is an asylum-seeking country that must defend the rights of refugees. But due to the fact that this country is Muslim and the interviewers are all Muslim and are not neutral, this has created many problems for Christian refugees. The only sin of me and my family is that we used the right that God gave us and chose the truth that is Jesus Christ. The only sin of me and my family is that we did not want to follow the anti-human laws of Islam. My family's opinion was that we did not consider Islam and its rulings to be true. So why should we be punished? Human rights have been given to me and my family to freely choose our religion and to think freely. We know that we are called to help our neighbor and therefore I am asking my fellow Christians for help. I'm not sure what you may be able to do. But we appreciate whatever you may be able to offer. May God bless you and open our eyes to the truth. Let us do the Word of God. Amen. I, Amen, and I mean, Amin. Um, I bless God for bringing you, opening your eyes and your heart, and bringing you and your family to the truth. It's a great, great, great grace. If you can live, um, uh, migrate any place. Uh, safely, Um, of course, that would be good. Um, I don't know where you are right now. Um, You've been a refugee in Turkey for nine years because of your conversion to Christianity and the Christian. Oh, so I guess from Iran? I'm not sure. Um, Well, blessed be God that you are with him now and will be if you don't turn from him and you don't sound like you will through all eternity. That's a great, great grace. So protect your family. I mean, protect your family. Um, and um, your choice of how public you uh, go on social media with the truth is your choice um, as the fruit of prayer before God because you must protect your family. And so... Uh, ask God for wisdom as to how much you do in social media and what you make public. Um, There are many people that have grown up under Islam, under uh, communism, and they've gone underground and they have been able to live their faith during those regimes. You might be able to do that yourself in Turkey. I don't know. I don't know if you're planning to return to Iran, but um, uh, be sure that... Your family is your first priority and that whatever you do or don't do is the fruit of prayer uh, with your family together and your wife, Amin. We pray, I ask all listeners to pray for you and other refugees and to protect you. We have an email from... As someone who writes it anonymously and says, Hello, Mother Miriam. My aunt lives in a Catholic retirement residence. The residence was built roughly 40-plus years ago. From what I know, it was the brainchild of two nuns who have since passed away. I believe the residence retains its original Catholic name, which is St. Elizabeth Retirement Residence. However, I do not believe that there is too much emphasis anymore on its Catholic roots. Having said that, there is a Catholic church on the premises. In fact, the church is physically connected to the retirement residence, which makes it lovely for the seniors, as they do not have to trample outdoors in bad weather in order to go to Mass. Mass is said in this church seven days a week for the residents, and that is a beautiful thing. It's truly beautiful, yes. Sadly, the sisters told the property, meaning the retirement residence and the attached church about 10 years ago, oh, sold the property about 10 years ago. They sold it to a for-profit secular company. That's too bad. And they have a not-for-profit retirement association who is responsible for the management and operation of the retirement residence. My question for you, Mother Miriam, pertains to the church church that is located on this retirement property. It is not owned by the local diocese. It is owned by the for-profit company who made the purchase 10 years ago. That's really tragic. Nonetheless, as I mentioned earlier, mass is set in the church seven days a week. Retired local priests take turns coming to say mass there every day. In addition to the retired priest, there is was, there was one non-retired priest from the closest nearby Catholic church who more or less oversees this retirement residence church. As well, this non-retired priest comes to say Mass there one day per week. My 95-year-old aunt, who lives at the retirement residence, attends Mass there daily. How beautiful. And I'm very thankful that she has this church available, where she does not even have to step outside to get there. Now, here is where my concern lies. And the reason for reaching out to you. My aunt made me aware. My aunt has made me aware of various secular meetings and events that take place in the church. This bothers her. And when she told me about it, it bothers me too. The meetings that take place are ones that require a large amount of space in order to hold many residents. As far as the events are concerned, they vary. My understanding is that the events are not evil in nature. But they are not holy either. One example is a recent event which involved local musicians who perform for the residents. I have confirmed that the music they played was secular, not spiritual. Since the new owners have taken possession of the retirement residence, they are undergoing lots of reservations. This is truly, truly tragic. Truly tragic that 10 years ago, nuns sold the retirement. Which was connected and at one with a holy Catholic church that has the tabernacle and the Eucharist to secular, even though it is supposedly managed by a nonprofit corporation. It's under a secular corporation. Um, it's been put in the hands of Satan. That is utterly, utterly tragic. We'll continue with your email, dear one, as soon as we come back from the break, and there'll still be 10 minutes. For anyone who may wish to call in, toll-free 1-877-511-5483. We'll be right back.
3: Many atheists assert the only real form of knowledge is scientific knowledge, thus excluding any sort of religious knowledge, whether philosophical or theological. Such a belief is called scientism. And it's unreasonable for two reasons. First, it's self-refuting. Its truth cannot be verified by the scientific method. It's a metaphysical proposition and as such is not scientific knowledge. But if science can't verify the truth of scientism, well then scientism itself cannot be a legitimate form of knowledge, in which case it's self-refuting. Moreover, scientism undermines science as a rational form of inquiry because it denies presupposed philosophical assumptions that are necessary to even do science, such as there's an external world outside the minds of scientists. So to reject God's existence on the grounds that it's not scientific knowledge is simply unreasonable. I'm Carlo Broussard with the ready reason for Catholic Answers, Catholic.com.
4: When you talk to people who were locked in sin, and you can't convince them to leave their sin, it's because they don't have any fear of hell. They fear God, they don't want to offend Him, but nobody talks about the fact that hell's real or that it endures forever. So you stand before the truth of God and you're illuminated completely in His truth. All you see is all the filthiness, the wretchedness, how vile you are and how you hate Him. You hate the one that you stand in front of. So what if He tries to give you a hug? You hate Him. You won't accept it. What if He says, please come in? I hate you. I would never come in there. This is how horrible it is. This, is. this is what has to be meditated on. To die in a state of sin means that you hate God. Whether you feel like you hate God or you don't, it doesn't matter. Not having the grace of God means you hate Him.
3: That's Sermons for Everyday Living from 6 to 7 a.m. Eastern on the Station of the Cross.
1: Welcome back, beloved, to Mother Mary Live. This is our last segment, and we have 10 minutes. You're welcome yet to call in, toll-free, 1-877-511-5483, or to email at mother at com. We are right in the middle of an email from someone who wrote in uh, that has a 95-year-old aunt living in a retirement center, Uh, that was founded by a couple of nuns many years ago, and it has a full Catholic church attached to it. And the church is, uh, there's mass seven days a week by retirement priests, and there's a non-retirement priest that oversees it and celebrates one day a week mass himself there. It's been a really wonderful situation, but 10 years ago it was sold, tragically I say, to a secular corporation. And although there's... uh, a so-called non-profit organization managing the religious funds it doesn't matter they're under a secular corporation and that corporation has begun to destroy began to destroy the church use it for secular means bring in secular music and um she writes this since the new owners have taken possession of the retirement residence they're undergoing lots of renovations as such it seems that some of the spaces, such as the auditorium, are not currently available for use while they're under construction. Therefore, someone has made the decision to hold their meetings in the church, as it is a large space which can easily hold many of the residents in one area. They do have a dining room as well, which is also a large space, but according to the operations manager who I spoke with, the dining room is inconvenient for them to use for meetings on account of their staggered meal times. Also, as an interesting side note, in speaking with the operations manager, as I did have occasion to recently, she told me two things. First, they, the staff at St. Elizabeth, as well as the residents, referred to the church as a chapel, not a church. And secondly, that they consider it as a non-denominational space. Oh, that's just too bad. The fact that secular meetings and events are taking place in the church, in the presence of the tabernacle which contains the Blessed Sacrament, does not sit right with me. It shouldn't sit right with any of the priests who come either. So so I contacted the diocese to speak to someone about this concern. An administrative representative explained to me that she spoke with a monsignor on staff who told her to tell me that they don't own it and to give me the name of the non-retired priest who oversees this church. I contacted this priest, explained to him my concerns, that meetings and events are taking place in the church, Oh my, what a conversation we had. I wish I had been able to record our phone conversation. This priest was very defensive and did not speak in what I would consider a nice, kind tone with me at all. He repeatedly asked me, do you really think that it's offensive to have meetings in the church to discuss matters that pertain to and are helping the residents? I said, yes, I do. I told him that I feel it's not right in the presence of the Blessed Sacrament to have these meetings and events. He told me that I should read the Gospels and then get back to him and let him know if I feel the same way. He also said that it's not the Jesus that I know, meaning he, who would be bothered by this. He said to me a few times, well, the other option is to close the church altogether and then the residents won't have mass anymore. I feel bad for this priest, whoever he is before God, because he certainly lost his vocation and his faith. He says, is that what you'd like? Of course I said that I would not, but I offered a suggestion. What about the dining room as a place to hold these meetings and events? He said, well, that's not up to us. We're just privileged to be able to come there and use their space for mass. On the topic of the diocese not owning this church, I did ask him how it is that the church is permitted to have the Blessed Sacrament on their premises. I figured that somebody likely the diocese would have to permit that he said yes we oversee it near the end of the conversation i asked him if he could please hold on a minute while i grabbed my notes because i explained they had done a bit of research and wanted to read him something that i read from canon law to which he replied that he had to go now to say mass soon said an abrupt goodbye and promptly hung up if the priest had not ended the call so abruptly I would have liked to have read him what I discovered in Canon Law, which I found on the website entitled canonlawmadeeasy.com. I read there that Canon 1205 defines the term sacred place, which it said are those places were intended for first divine worship or the burial of the faithful. Furthermore, I read that these sacred places are specifically designated for these purposes, and this would have been confirmed by the blessing or dedication ceremony that would have been held when the church was first built. I'm going to tell you right now, it won't matter if you had read that to that priest. He could care less. She says, my research revealed to me that a sacred place is meant to be used for sacred things. Canon 1210 tells us that in a sacred place, only these things are to be allowed, which serve to exercise and promote worship, piety and religion. To clarify this matter even further, I read that in 1987, the Vatican's Congregation for Divine Worship and Discipline of the Sacraments issued a letter which stated when churches are used for ends other than those for which they were built, their role as a sign of the Christian mystery is put at risk with more or less serious harm to the teaching of the faith and to the sensitivity of the people according to the Lord's words, my house is a house of prayer. Mother Miriam, I'm sorry for this long email but I greatly appreciate your thoughts. Thank you, and God bless you. I would, um, you're 100% right, and if they insist on using the church as a social hall, no matter what they call it or use it for, the blessed sacrament absolutely must be removed, and priests who celebrate Mass can bring un- unconsecrated um uh, altar bread with them and consecrated for the mass at the time they come or even bring consecrated bread if it's probably properly um contained in the saborium and a proper uh, bells walking with it so the first thing is that the blessed sacrament absolutely must be removed from that church um the second thing is everything you found in canon law and other things that you we've just read uh, put in a letter to the priest, and um, make a le- uh, write a letter to him, and tell him that in this letter I am copying the bishop, because you do not seem to be interested in what is holy, and uh, the reverence our Lord deserves. So, at the very least, he must be removed from the tabernacle, um, and also uh, this needs to be brought. Uh, to the attention of the bishop so i am uh, copying his excellency on this letter so write the letter out give the history of what's happened give the conversation you've had with father and give what you found in canon law recount it to the bishop and um uh, put your contact information phone number email mailing address whatever it is and respectfully address dear father and a copy to His Excellency so-and-so. But the absolute priority is that the sacrament be removed from that church. Um, okay, it's so good that there are still faithful who know their faith and want to protect the honor of our Lord. Um, we are at the end of our program, dear ones, so I won't be able to take another email or call, but um, go ahead Uh, We'll be live tomorrow if you'd like to call in or email. uh, Again, feel free to do that with anything on your heart. You can even disagree with me by calling in. I don't mind. Um, Let us reason together, God says. So um, uh, email, call in. You can put messages on Facebook. um, And um, uh, we pray for you all who listen, uh, who are part of the Station of the Cross, Um, I am grateful for them as I am grateful for LifeSite News and uh, all of us need to continue to be faithful to pray for one another that God would raise up strong priests strong holy bishops once again to lead the sheep to heaven God bless all of you God willing we'll speak with you tomorrow God bless you